Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while weird and wonderful science trains your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Pompeo summoned, monkeypox sequenced and Epstein-Barr vaccinated. And heroic steam. My apologies if you've had trouble downloading the last four or so episodes of the show. The Internet Archive assure me that they've fixed the problem, but if it happens again, please let me know by sending an email to science at diffusionradio.com and I'll ask the Internet Archive to fix it again. First up on the show, here's news of policing childhood memories. Pictures matter. Police want your happy face. The Australian Federal Police and their collaborators at Monash University are asking people over 18 to send them their happy childhood photographs and email addresses. For a project called the My Pictures Matter crowdsourcing campaign. The stated aim of the project is to train a machine learning algorithm to identify child abuse in photographs and identify the victims. The stated aim of the project is to train a machine learning algorithm to identify child abuse in photographs and identify the victims, despite there being no child abuse in the training data. The idea is that the software will be able to distinguish between children in safe environments and children who are in unsafe environments. The researchers and the police say that this project is ethical, unlike previous child abuse machine learning projects, because people consent as adults to photos of themselves as children being in the database to train the software. Separately to the logical problems of training software to detect crimes without any reference crimes, there are major privacy issues with police using photos of you to train their software to identify potential crimes. Your face is in every photo you give them. The police and Monash University researchers assure people that the emails will be stored in a separate database to the photographs of your face, so there'll be no way for anyone to identify you. Justin Warren of Digital Rights Australia and Electronic Frontiers Australia tweeted, Yes, pictures of your face are famously non-identifying. Anna Johnston, Director of Salinger Privacy and former New South Wales Deputy Privacy Commissioner tweeted, Also, how will the police know whether people are only sending photos of themselves as kids if they're not verifying identity? Pro tip, privacy compliance is harder than this. The researchers offer to keep you updated on the uses of your photos and the research, but no real explanation of why they should keep your email address at all. By the end of 2022, the researchers are aiming to have a database of at least 100,000 images for training the AI algorithm, sourced with consent. Just don't send them innocent photos of yourself as a child, nude, 
being changed or bathed because that would upset their protocol. The photos will be stored in Australian-based cloud storage. This means they'll be online 24-7, which is not very secure. However, the Monash University researchers promise that only they, or other researchers they authorise, will have access to the training photo database, not the police. Given that the Australian Federal Police and other police agencies around the world have admitted to paying for the Clear AI face recognition software that was trained on faces stolen from people's photos without their consent, I find it hard to trust the police will abide by those rules. In order to test the trained algorithm, the researchers and police would have to use photos of real child abuse, which they would have to ask the survivors for consent to be ethical with the problem that requesting consent could raise painful memories for the survivors. This system is bound to throw up lots of false positives and wrong identifications. At the very least, it will flag all nudity as unsafe, since safe nudity has been deliberately excluded. You can upload your happy childhood memories at mypicturesmatter.org, as long as you also get the consent of every single person in those photos. And, you think, machine learning can determine statistically, without any understanding, which environments are safe for children and which are not, from volunteered photos. And, you don't mind being in a face recognition system that could one day wrongly flag you or your family as a victim or a criminal. Pompeo summoned for the attempted murder of Julian Assange. The former CIA director and US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been summoned by the Spanish National High Court to give testimony on a massive spying operation that he orchestrated against Julian Assange and a related Trump administration plot to kidnap and or assassinate the WikiLeaks publisher in London. Julian Assange is currently imprisoned in the maximum security Belmarsh prison waiting for the UK Home Office Minister Priti Patel to formally decide to extradite him to the United States on treason charges under the 1917 Espionage Act for revealing American war crimes. Particularly that American soldiers on a helicopter gunship broke the rules of war to fire repeatedly on unarmed civilians and their children. The unredacted documents Julian Assange is accused of publishing documents were actually stolen from WikiLeaks by Daniel Domscheit Berg. The passphrase to the encrypted documents were published by The Guardian's investigative reporter David Lee. German newspaper Der Freitag put those two things together and instructed readers in how to read those documents. Ironically, Julian Assange was actually the person who warned the US Embassy that the documents had been stolen and the passphrase published. He tried to make them understand that it was urgently important, but they dismissed him, as you can hear on recordings of the phone conversation published on YouTube. Mike Pompeo and former US National Counterintelligence and Security Centre Director Williams Evanina have been subpoenaed in a criminal case against Davis Morales, a former Spanish Marine who headed the UC global private security firm that was contracted by the Ecuadorian embassy while Julian Assange was living there as a political refugee. According to UC global whistleblowers, Davis Morales entered into an agreement with the US authorities in 2016 to extensively spy 
on Julian Assange. The former employees also stated there were discussions of potentially abducting Assange or poisoning him the following year. This ties in with a Yahoo News expose in September 2021, which alleged that in 2017 there were discussions in the top levels of the US Trump administration about taking extraordinary measures against Julian Assange, including a possible kidnapping or assassination. The report, based on discussions with 30 former American officials, alleged that Pompeo, then CIA director, was central to the plotting, instructing his subordinates that in the campaign against Assange, nothing is off-limits. Mike Pompeo was closely associated with the Trump administration's open violations of international law. As Trump's Secretary of State, Pompeo would have been involved in the January 2020 assassination of top Iranian general Qasem Soleimani in Iraq. Mr Pompeo famously said, When I was a cadet, what's the cadet motto at West Point? You will not lie, cheat or steal or tolerate those who do. I was CIA director. We lied. We cheated. We stole. We had entire training courses. It reminds you of the glory of the American experiment. When the Yahoo News report was published, Mr Pompeo called for its American sources to be prosecuted under national security laws, pretty much admitting the truth of the report. Instead of complying with requests from Spanish judges for the IP addresses of American computers that had accessed the illegal surveillance streams of Mr Assange, the US Justice Department instead demanded the names of the UC Global Company whistleblowers. William Evanina has gone on record saying the United States intelligence had access to the cameras of the Embassy of Ecuador in London, to recordings of conversations within the mission, to the devices of the visitors, and to the travel documents of all of them, having even planned the murder or kidnapping of the asylee. While repeatedly denouncing the WikiLeaks founder, Evanina stated that the US had exquisite collection of his plans and intentions. He spoke about the escalation of electronic and human surveillance against Julian Assange. Evanina stated, We were very confident within the Five Eyes that we would be able to prevent him from getting out of the clutches of the British and US authorities. The Five Eyes are the US-led electronic surveillance alliance, Britain, Australia, New Zealand and Canada. At this point, it seems unlikely that Mike Pompeo and William Evanina will agree to testify even though they're not within the jurisdiction of the Spanish High Court, so they can't be prosecuted. Newly elected Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese had said before the election that Julian Assange should be freed, or at least that imprisoning him had no purpose and it had gone on long enough, but he's yet to make any visible signs of following through. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Monkeypox since 2017. Sequencing of the monkeypox DNA by the University of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom shows that the 2022 virus that's currently spreading outside Africa has been spreading from human to human since 2017, rather than from animals to humans, as the virus has been recorded as doing in African nations since the first monkey-to-human case in 1970. 
Genome sequencing shows that the monkeypox viruses responsible for the 2022 cases are closely related to the ones detected in a small number of cases in Israel, Nigeria, Singapore and the UK between 2017 and 2019. There are up to 47 DNA letter changes in the latest viruses compared with these earlier cases. That's an unexpectedly high number given that monkeypox is thought to evolve slowly, by around one mutation per year. 42 of these 47 changes involve the DNA letters TT changing to TA or GA to AA, which are exactly the type of mutations induced by a group of antivirus enzymes in humans called APOBEC3. This is a telltale sign that this variant of monkeypox has been spreading from human to human in an unnoticed epidemic since 2017. In the Nigerian outbreak in 2017, there was some evidence of human-to-human transmission. Nearly 70% of the cases in Nigeria in 2017 were male. In 2022, of the more than 900 cases reported in over 30 countries, 100% of them are male. This is not by the textbook. The textbooks say monkeypox begins with flu-like symptoms including a fever, tiredness and a single swollen lymph node, and that men and women get it. About a week later, a rash appears, first on the face and then on the extremities. This rash contains painful blisters that eventually fill with pus and crust over. Eventually it can cover the trunk or the whole body, particularly palms of the hands and soles of the feet. The big problem is that the 2022 variant doesn't behave anything like that, so doctors are probably missing cases. For this 2022 variant, the rash often isn't on the face or extremities at all. Instead, it typically begins on the genitals or the anus. Sometimes it doesn't spread to other parts of the body. You don't have head-to-toe skin pox lesions. Instead, it's localised to just one region of the body. And some people have just one or two pox. Sometimes it's not even a pox, but rather an ulcer or a crater, or just one tiny lesion. The rash can be really painful, and some patients have reported needing prescription pain medicine to manage that pain. Others don't feel any pain. The sores can also cause long-term scarring on the skin. Some patients don't get flu-like symptoms at all, or swollen lymph nodes, or fevers. Some patients have inflammation of the rectum. In the UK, people are being asked to be on the lookout for any new spots, ulcers or blisters on any part of their body. The report was titled, Update to Observations about Putative APOBEC3 Deaminase Editing in the Light of New Genomes from USA, and was published on Virological, a discussion forum for analysis and interpretation of virus molecular evolution and epidemiology. Epstein-Barr vaccinated. The US National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases has launched clinical trials of a vaccine against the Epstein-Barr virus. Moderna started its own clinical trials of an Epstein-Barr virus vaccine in January 2022. Epstein-Barr virus gets into your cells and stays there for life, coming out whenever your immune system is challenged to cause you extra symptoms, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus and other autoimmune diseases. And cancers. It's mostly spread by saliva. It's mostly spread by saliva. 
a huge study published in January 2022 looking at millions of American military recruits over 20 years has shown conclusively that while not everyone that's infected with Epstein-Barr virus gets multiple sclerosis, almost everyone who gets multiple sclerosis has had an Epstein-Barr virus infection. Many people who suffer from myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, have been infected with Epstein-Barr virus first. Epstein-Barr virus infection is also a risk factor in long COVID. Epstein-Barr virus lying latent in our cells for years is associated with stomach and nasopharyngeal cancers, Hodgkin and Burkitt lymphomas. The new study will evaluate the safety and immune response of an investigational Epstein-Barr virus GP350 ferritin nanoparticle vaccine developed by the Laboratory of Infectious Diseases in collaboration with the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Vaccine Research Centre. Used with an adjuvant to boost an immune response developed by Novavax. The vaccine works by targeting the Epstein-Barr virus glycoprotein GP350, which is found on the surface of the virus and virus-infected cells. Epstein-Barr virus GP350 is also the primary target for neutralising antibodies found in the blood of people naturally infected with Epstein-Barr virus. Ferritin is a natural iron storage protein found in cells of all living things. Ferritin is considered a promising vaccine platform because it can display proteins from the targeted virus in a dense array on its surface. The study will enrol 40 healthy volunteer adults aged 18 to 29 years, half of whom have evidence of prior Epstein-Barr virus infection, of half of whom don't have any evidence of prior Epstein-Barr virus infection. Participants will receive an initial dose, then a second dose at 30 days, and a third dose at 180 days. The trial will last four years. In January 2022, Moderna started a clinical trial of a memory RNA vaccine using the same technology as the mRNA COVID vaccines. The focus is on preventing Epstein-Barr virus-induced mononucleosis and potentially all Epstein-Barr virus infection. They enrolled 270 participants at 15 test sites around the United States. The primary purpose of Moderna's Phase 1 study is to assess safety and tolerability of mRNA-1189 in healthy adults aged 18 to 30. Hopefully, in around five years or so, we may have a working vaccine to prevent people from getting infected with Epstein-Barr virus, so they'll no longer be subject to lifelong risks of multiple sclerosis, ME-CFS, autoimmune diseases and cancer. And finally, from 2008, Lachlan Watmore continued his series on ancient machines, this time focusing on Hero of Alexandria and his steam power. In the first instalment of this series, I spoke about ancient mechanics, and I mentioned one man in particular, Hero of Alexandria. Hero, also known as Heron of Alexandria, is easily regarded as one of the best engineers and mathematicians of the ancient world. 
Despite a comparatively large body of his work surviving for us to read, Hero's birthplace, date of birth and even his nationality have been disputed. Most historians these days believe he was Greek, although a certain number maintain that he was Egyptian, and others declare that he was Phoenician. Similarly, common consensus these days has him born around the time of Christ, about 10 AD, and dying in about 75 AD. However, it was once believed that he lived around 150 BC, or that he lived around 250 AD, which gives us an interval of 400 years in which to place him. Let's go with the mainstream view and assume that he was Greek and lived at the time of Christ. One thing we don't have to argue over is where he lived, the wonderful cosmopolitan city of Alexandria in Egypt, founded by Alexander the Great 300-odd years before, and by Hero's time, a thriving centre of scholarship. While it hasn't been proven, it would be reasonable to assume that Hero taught mathematics, physics, mechanics and pneumatics at the museum in Alexandria. This is given weight when you look at his writings. They look like lecture notes and are not written in the style one would expect of a formal publication. Okay, but what did Hero of Alexandria do? Well, I'll get to his mechanical work in a minute, but first I'll go over his body of written work. Hero left behind a large body of work, and as I mentioned, a lot of it has survived to the modern era. This is good, because many ancient writings didn't. Hero wrote books on practical matters. They include On the Dioptra, which deals with surveying and the operation of the theodolite, the Automaton Theatre, which described a mechanical puppet theatre operated by strings, pulleys and weights. The Bella Poica, which described the building of military engines and a specialist text. The Cairo Balustra, which focused on the construction of catapults. The Metrica, which defined methods of measurement. The Mechanica, which was written in three volumes and owes a lot to the work of Archimedes. Book one looks at the theory of motion, the theory of the balance and other geometrical subjects. Book two is more practical and looks at lifting heavy objects with levers, wedges and pulleys. Book three addresses transport methods such as the use of sledges, cranes and, as a bit of an aside, wine presses, which has little to do with transport, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. However, in my humble opinion, Hero's most important work is the Pneumatica. It was a long, rambling work written in two volumes and described mechanical devices powered by water, air or steam. It includes over 100 descriptions of various machines, including fire engines, wind organs, coin-operated machines and, to quote Hero himself, trick jars that give out wine or water separately or in constant proportions, singing birds and sounding trumpets, puppets that move when a fire is lit on an altar Animals that drink when offered water. These sound like toys. They are. It would appear that Hero built toys to demonstrate mechanical principles. His most famous toy was also the first steam engine. It was the Elipile, a device that did absolutely nothing except spin round and round. The Elipile consisted of a hollow sphere which was mounted on hollow tubes in such a way that it could rotate using the tubes as axles. The tubes received steam from a cauldron at the base of the assembly and the steam flowed into the sphere. Emerging from the sphere were two opposing cylinders which bent at right angles and thus acted as jets for the release of steam. Both jets fired in the same rotational direction and thus provided the sphere with rotary torque, which means it went round and round. As I mentioned, the Elipile didn't perform mechanical work. This isn't as surprising as it sounds. Many pioneering technologies didn't find practical applications until a second generation of technicians looked at them. One example of this is gunpowder. 
However, as the first steam-powered device, the significance of the early pile cannot be stressed enough. It would be many more centuries before pneumatic power of steam would be pressed into service, and that will be the subject of our next instalment. Stay tuned. That was Lachlan Watmore talking about the history of steam. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Climb aboard. You are about to take a journey out of this world into the world of the future. Forget the world around you. Forget the people around you. You are entering Futurama alone with your own thoughts. Have you ever wondered where we will find the food, clothing, and shelter we will need to sustain the world's exploding population in the years ahead? And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show if you enjoyed the show you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits photography, collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, 
more rewarding life.